0: Good morning. Today's scripture is from Deuteronomy nineteen one through 21, 9. These are the words of God. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose lands the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses... You shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as in possession, so that any manslayer may flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer, who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and strike him fatally, although the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past." Therefore, I command you, you shall set apart three cities. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has sworn to your fathers and gives you all the land that he promised to give to your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I command you today, by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to these three, lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and so the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of the innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. You shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, and the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord." Before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear, and never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity, it shall be life for life eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. When you go out to war against your enemies, and see horses and chariots, and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people, and shall say to them, "'Hear, O Israel!' Today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Then the officers shall speak to the people saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man enjoy its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock, and everything else in the city, all its spoil, you shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance— you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them, You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human, that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it falls. If in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess, someone is found slain, lying in the open country, and it is not known who killed him, then your elders and your judges shall come out. And they shall measure the distance to the surrounding cities. And the elders of the city that is nearest to the slain man shall take a heifer that has never been worked and that has not pulled in a yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with running water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and shall break the heifer's neck down there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come forward. For the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word, every dispute and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall testify, our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed. Accept atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not set the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel, so that their blood guilt be atoned for. So you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from your midst, when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If anybody's been to Disney, maybe you have heard of this before. Has anybody heard of Go Away Green? Go Away Green. Go Away Green is a color that is used and a paint that is used throughout the, 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 the um, amusement park. And it's not just Disney. You could go to Universal or Busch Gardens or wherever. But it's a, it's a type of camouflage green that they paint on things to hide. To hide things in plain sight. Doors, trash cans, light posts, um, Space Mountain, uh, maybe not Space Mountain. There's a couple other ones that they paint so that you could just be enjoying and going through the park and have no idea that there's this ginormous, ugly building that's right there, that you won't see the trash can, that you'll be focused on the mouse and not the door in which he came out of. You know, that, that mystery and all that you get when you walk around, how did the characters get to this point and how did they disappear? Well, it's go-away green. It's a it's a it's a color that that we just like camouflage, we don't really recognize. But here's the thing as you guys are looking up on your phones what go-away green is and you see pictures, you're like, "Oh, okay, I'm picking it up." Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And when you go to a theme park or if you're part like if you go to a public park, you'll recognize it. You'll be like, "Oh, I see that trash can. I am initiated. I I am a cut above the rest. I now see doors that people have not seen before. You know, <laughs> I am enlightened. And, and so you can see, you can see things. But the, the, the thing that's interesting about it isn't that it paints a trash can. The interesting thing is that it, there was something, there was a color that you weren't aware of that now you are aware of. And so if you were to talk to somebody about go away green, you wouldn't say, hey man, when you go to Disney World, when you go to Epcot, be looking out for the trash cans. You wouldn't say that you would say, look out for go away green. Look for the color that paints it. And so for the text this morning, there's a lot of doors, there's a lot of light posts and trash cans and, and buildings that are Old Testament realities that have to them. And I want to draw attention not to the buildings or the doors or the light posts. I want to draw to the color of those things. That's the important bit. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. You got to look for it and you'll find it everywhere. And the color that, it's not go away green, it's the gospel of life. That's what we're looking at in these texts. In the two chapters we're looking at, they're case studies. We're at a part in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is giving case studies for the Ten Commandments. This section in particular is talking about the Sixth Commandment. For the most part, the Sixth Commandment, don't murder So what does that look like? Let me give you some examples. Really specific hypothetical situation with a guy and an axe. If you guys noticed in chapter 19, very specific. That is a matter of life. The sixth commandment. We also find the eighth commandment of, of don't steal with property. Don't don't move the fence line of your property. That's theft. The ninth commandment, don't lie. When you have witnesses, we care about the truth. Have multiple witnesses. Don't have a false witness. That false witness will be punished. The 10th commandment's also there with property. You want your neighbor's property, so you move the fence line a little bit. All of these things are case studies, specifics. Just like last week. Last week you had the Levites and the possession that they should have. What commandments was that highlighting? The first, don't have any other gods before me. Who's your, who's your true God? Who is your possession? The Lord God. Have no other gods before me. Is the point of the previous case studies that, that you need to be watching out for Satan behind your couch? The point is that there's no other authority grander than the Lord. And that you should be worshiping him above all, else, above all other authorities in your life. And so this morning, as we look at these multiple, multiple verses, we're going to be looking at the color of life. How, what does this text say about life? The point of this morning's sermon is not how do we maintain Judeo-Christian values in our political system or in our nation or make sure that, you, that we have refuge cities per se. That's how we obey the text. It's grander than that. It's not about the trash can, it's the color of it. Is your life defined and colored by the gospel of life? Can you recognize matters of life? In your life, for all of life, in the lives of your neighbors and your neighbor's neighbors? Can you recognize what's at stake when something happens? As a Christian, do you have the category of recognizing the paint of the gospel that saved your life? Can you see it? And so, the application this morning, I'm not gonna give you a list of be about this issue or don't be about this issue. The point is, brothers and sisters, Love life because of the life given to you in Jesus Christ. That's the point for this morning. So a large view of what we went through. First, Moses talks about refuge cities. This is a provision For uh, people that accidentally killed somebody, a manslayer, that they can run to three equally distant cities within the land, and eventually when Israel grows, there can be three more cities so that they can outrun the person that is very energized to kill them because they killed someone else, and thus multiplying the loss of life. We then are followed by a short verse on property and of stealing property, and then we go to the courtroom and we start talking about witnesses, the nature of how do we. Find the truth, live in the truth. And then a section on war, which had a very interesting section about fruit trees and of caring for nature. And then lastly, unresolved murders. So what do you do with the serial killers in Israel? When you find a body outside of cities and you don't know who killed it, what what happens? Moses isn't giving a military manual. In in chapter 20, when he talks about war, he's not giving a military manual. He's not being a city councilman. He's being a pastor for us. This text, though there is, in, in in a classic way, we can divide the law up into its moral obligations, so the Ten Commandments. Sometimes we can look at the law and we find ceremonial calls of, this is what happened, you need to sacrifice an animal. And then there are civil categories. How does Israel govern itself under the law? We are looking at a civil text, but there are spiritual implications for us. It's not one for one for mid- to Midlothian. We, we don't have, the pastors don't have a courtroom where we have witnesses and we call people and we, we judge people's lives. We're, we're a spiritual institution, no longer political or national, praise God. Another profound aspect about this text, not only do we have to keep in mind that it is a sermon, we need to remember what salvation is to Israel, all right? So think about this. Imagine that you are in Israel right now and, and the, you're, 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 you're in this text. Israel's salvation was from Egypt through the Red Sea. They were saved in, in that moment to the promised land. So for Israel to be in the promised land, the, the promised land equals salvation. For you to be in the land means that you are in the good of God's love, steadfast love and faithfulness to you, his provision, his protection, all of that. So when when we look at this and we see uh, Moses describing how to occupy the land, he's saying, how are you to live out your salvation, Israel? In light of God saving you, how are you to act? How are you to live? And, and here's the larger question. When God saves you and things go wrong, what do you do? That's the question for us this morning. When you get saved, it's, it's awesome. But God's goodness is found in a world that's fallen still. We still deal with stuff. There's still sin abounding in the land, if you will, to connect it to salvation. So for us In light of your salvation, Moses is pastoring us. You've been saved by this gospel of life. How do you, Christian, live in the gospel of life in a world that does not cherish the gospel of life or in circumstances where the gospel of life is not being cherished out of negligence or just because we live in a fallen world? Suffering happens. How do you fight for the good of salvation? in light of your salvation. The point of this morning's sermon, I think Moses in these two chapters gives us the larger answer. Two things. First, that we would cherish the salvation that we have. Do you? Do you the, the first thing that we can do to apply all of this text is to realize where you stand, brother and sister. So maybe, maybe you're not concerned about the fruit bearing trees in your backyard. Maybe somebody hasn't, um, maybe they haven't moved your fence line, but we all can relate to circumstances hitting us, like rain. We feel things this morning. We're going through things this morning, each one of us in different places. The call of this text is that you would remember the gospel of life. Regardless of anything else, the greatest need for us is to remember the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing that Moses tells us to do is to be vigilant to preserve the lives of others. So Christians, the church is not just merely to stand with our hands in our pockets and go, "God saved me." Period. We care about people. We care about life. We love life because our the gospel that saved us is a gospel of life. From death to life we've been saved. And so the point of this morning's sermon is this, that we would live in the good news, in the good, excuse me, live in the good of new life in Christ and to be vigilant to preserve the lives of others. That's that's the call of this text for us right now, that you would be more aware of God's kindness to you in Jesus Christ, and that you would be more aware of the color of, Of the gospel of life in all of life. So that when you are teaching your children, when you are dealing with a a problem at work, when, when life is not valued, when your neighbor's life isn't valued, you can recognize that situation needs a little color. It needs a little paint. It needs the gospel applied there. But first, we recognize it and we say, Thank you, Lord, that we have life. Let's go paint. So the outline this morning is two points for two chapters. We've got two and a half chapters, two points. The first, living in the good of salvation. The first thing, living in the good of salvation. And then the second point is walking out the life of salvation. Walking out the life of salvation. So instead of going through this section and going about the cities of refuge and then talking about property and then talking about the court and witnesses and then talking about war and then talking about murderers, in desolate places, I want us to look at the paint. I want us to look at the real point. So first, living in the good of salvation. The first thing that we see in this text before us today is that salvation is from the Lord of life. The first observation that we should pull from the whole of these chapters is that salvation is from the Lord of life. Israel did not get to this point and is not occupying the land of Canaan because they were prosperous, because they were righteous, because they were a well-trained military group that could overtake Canaan. The story of Israel from start to finish is a story of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to a people that could not save themselves. So look first with me at verse one of chapter 19. Again, remember, For them to be in the land is to be saved. To be in the land is to be saved. So what does God say about their salvation in verse one? When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses. Who did what? God did it. God gave them the land. God gave them the land. Any command that we find, whether it be in Deuteronomy chapter 19, or this morning we were in Sunday class looking at Philippians 1, we have to, we have to ground any command we find in the Bible in the grace of God. God acts first and we respond. When God calls us to something, it's because he saved us from something. And so the same is for this text. Israel, do this, because I gave you salvation. That's that is primary for us to think. So before Moses even gets into refugee cities or refuge cities, he grounds the whole conversation and the truth that this wouldn't even be a category if it wasn't for God giving them the land. Look with me at chapter twenty. All right, so chapter twenty is where Moses talks about war. He talks about principles of war, and what I love about this is it's it's really not a manual again for warfare. It's it's out of out of all the things to care about, Moses calls them to think about the Lord. Out of all the things to care about, think about your neighbor when you go to war. Think about the young men that just built their house. Because again, remember, the land is salvation. Guys that just built their home and they're they're gonna go die and they don't get to enjoy salvation, God says, No, 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 let them enjoy the land. They're not under curses, they're under blessings. Men that are betrothed, they're engaged to be married, go enjoy your wife have a family in the land that God saved you to. Guys that planted vineyards that haven't enjoyed the first fruits of it, enjoy the land. You're under blessings, not curses. But look with me at verses one through three, how this is grounded in the Lord of life. Before you care about matters of the life of your neighbor, first recognize the life that God has given you verses one through three. When you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and say to them, what is this priest saying? Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not Your heart be faint. God calls us to do things. Why does He call us to do something? In response to what He's done. Next phrase Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you, against your enemies, to give you the victory. Life is preserved. Because God, the Lord of life, preserves it. For us this morning in this room, the battles that we're called to, to the spiritual battles, fighting our sin, overcoming circumstances, not in a victorious way, but in a faithful way, persevering, contending for the faith, that is only possible. It's not, hey, hey, just stop being fearful. What's the reasoning? God's faithfulness to give life. God is faithful to give us life. Don't let your heart be faint for he goes with you to fight with you, to be behind you, to fight for you. Our sovereign God is the one that fights our battles. Every command that we obey is the same. When I do something By faith, the righteousness that I have is because God through the Holy Spirit was the one that fought that battle. The good that I have in my life is only there because of God's spirit that indwells me. Yes, I participate. Yes, I believe and I trust and I lean in. But anything, even for the Christian, anything we do of good is from the Lord. In Christ, regardless of the opposition that we have in this life, whether it be financial for us in this room, whether it be emotional, medical, familial, we are more than conquerors in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel for us this morning. Nothing separates the Christian from the love of God in Christ. Our salvation, the first thing we can do to love our neighbor when we respond to the gospel and we live holy, set apart lives for his glory working hard in the ministry that God has given us. We do this because God was gracious to us. It is out of his love that we love our neighbors. You can't love your neighbor unless you understand the love of God. You, you cherish life, okay, fine. You cherish life. Christians, we understand in a depth that is, just, just as I've said before behind this pulpit, that we understand suffering more than anybody else and we understand joy more than anybody else. We ought to, in light of the gospel, understand life to a depth that, that makes the world stand in awe and wonder and ask of the God that we serve. The way that you talk about life is captivating and is so different than the way that, because it, it, it's, it's all a veneer, Until the gospel informs the heart of it. When we are captivated by God, we see a depth to the world that is by grace, by grace alone. So not only do we see that salvation is from the Lord of life, we also see that salvation displays the justice of God in this text. So it is by grace through faith that we are saved. That's the same for Israel. All right, so if God is gracious to Israel, does that mean that he forgoes justice? Do you have to give up grace, not getting getting what you do deserve, or getting something that you, you don't deserve? Excuse me, that's what grace is. Getting something you don't deserve. Does that mean that God necessarily has to give up his justice? What does it say in light of this text? God very much cares about justice. He very much cares about the details of life. How could he be a good God and not care? about justice and matters of justice, down to the details of where your fence line is. That's like, the gospel is good news and it's not an overpromise underdeliver under deliver kind of good news. It's, you could, you could take it and run with it all the way to the corner of your property in this text. And it even speaks there. To your pear tree in your backyard, it goes that far. It's mind blowing how good the good news is of the gospel. But God does not forsake justice for mercy. They're married together, and we're gonna get there in a minute. They're married together, but note God's justice in this text. You have conversations about murder with the, the refuge cities. If a murderer tries to go into one of these cities, what are you to do? Ignore it? No, you deal with that guy. What do you what do, you do if, if someone steals property? You deal with them. What do you do about a malicious witness? You deal with it. What do you do with war with those that God has called to judge? The the Canaanites that we see all the way, we'll get there in in Genesis 15. God's justice is going to roll. What What do you do with unresolved murders? It has to be paid for. It's paid for by an animal. Which points to a greater sacrifice. Right after these verses in, in chapter 19, oh, no, 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 let's not do that. He cares about justice. He cares about lying, stealing, anything that involves your neighbor, the life of your neighbor. Look at verse 20 of, verse, of chapter 19. Verse 20. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. There is, in my estimation, probably no text in the Old Testament more misinterpreted or misunderstood than this verse. Oftentimes, we think about this in terms of vengeance. Eye for an eye. You, you kick me, I'm kicking you back. Notice the context, though. This is, this is talking about a courtroom. This is talking about witnesses. This is talking about somebody that did something really wrong in a courtroom, the, what eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is meant to do isn't to justify vengeance, it's actually the opposite. It's to protect from vengeance. So many people take this verse to, to be the summation of all of Old Testament ethics. It's not, it's not, and it's not, it's not vengeance. The point is that God is just. When someone does something wrong, they deserve the punishment for the crime. Nothing more, nothing less that it should be equal because God is just. He gives life, He's gracious, He's merciful, but He's also just, which brings a conundrum for us in this room. How do we, as believers, my sin, if God's just, how did He justly deal with my sin? How is He both gracious and merciful? We'll get to that in chapter 21. There's so, much, there's so much in this text. Look with me in the beginning of, of chapter 20. So again, we're going back to, to war. So we see that God's care and his perfect justice and how the armies were supposed to go to war, his perfect justice. Remember that God said that when you encounter an army larger and bigger, not to fear. Think about God's justice in, in, um, in, in the first thing that Israel was to do was to pursue peace with those that are far off to pursue peace. So his justice, we still see his kindness, his, his value of, of life, but we also see In verse 10, excuse me, a little bit further past verse 10, that all these lists of names of different groups that are under God's judgment, how do you reconcile that? For those that are outside of Canaan proper, pursue peace. For these other guys, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, get them, get rid of them, out. You have to look back all the way. You could spend time in Genesis, but I'm just gonna highlight Genesis 15, verse 12. This is a section where Abraham is with God making a covenant. And and this is what Moses pens here. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, dreadful and great great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offsprings will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there and will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. What nation was that? Egypt. Why were they judged? Because they enslaved God's people. God will bring justice to his people for the wrongs committed against their life. Continuing on, as for you, verse 15, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age. 16, and they shall come back here, talking about Canaan, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were mentioned in that list of people being judged. God was aware, this is over 400 years, you know, over 400 years that they were in Canaan we we know elsewhere in scripture the Canaanites knew what was going on in Egypt i mean that was the front page of the wall street journal for how many weeks hey you know slaves uproar uh, sea you know parted people in Canaan are like are you catching this do you know what's going down like just a couple miles south of us that that god is revealing himself in signs and wonders and saving a people and and mom and dad they say they're coming to Canaan god's testimonies and salvation, his mercy, and his judgment were shown. And what did Canaan do? Chose to be opposed to God. Chose, to, instead of worshiping the true and living God, chose to stay, stay the course. And what Eric so faithfully read us is the, the abominations of idolatry. So judgment has to happen. Mankind deserves punishment for sin. There is going to be a day where God judges. But it's not today. It's not today. Paul Washer talks about this. For us this morning, all of us are like the Amorites in many ways. Before we respond to the gospel, our sins are just building up. We sin and sin and turn away from God. And God faithfully beckons us to come. Look what my son has done died for your sins, faith and repentance, you could live life eternal, John 3, 16. This could be yours. And with his other hand, he holds back his judgment, but there is going to be a time, Paul Washer uses this illustration, that both hands will fall. The call to the gospel will cease and God's judgment will pour forth. And so for anyone in this room who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are playing with fire. It's a free gift it's a free gift. There's no, there's no works required to be saved. A recognition of who God is and what he has done in kindness and in love for you. Turn from the sin that never delivers what it promises and turn to something that will fulfill you. It won't make all your problems go away, but you will live in a peace and in a love that you were designed for when God created you and knit you in your mother's womb. That's, there's so, much, there's so much good news in the life you could have if you would just turn today. Today is the day of salvation. You could today turn from sin and acknowledge God and have new life in him. Your life could change today. No one is holding back the offer of the gospel No one's holding you back other than pride in this moment. Recognize your need. Deal with it today. So God is just and he is merciful. Turn with me to chapter 21. This is where we get to the gospel in this text. Most clearly said. So for unresolved murders... In Israel outside of cities. Okay, so you find a body that is you verifiably been murdered. What you had to do is you had the elders go out and you had to go to the closest city and you pray that it's close. You have to send multiple guys in multiple directions. Um, and then you go to that closest city and you find a heifer and you bring it to the bottom of the hill to water that isn't on land, so the blood's not spilt on someone's farmland, and you kill it. You kill that, that animal in place of, the, it to cover the sin that took place, the murder that happened. And this speaks to the nature of, of God's omniscience, that, that he's everywhere, and he sees all things and he's all-powerful, even the things that are outside of your eye and my eye, that in matters of justice, in matters of life, he cares about even the unknowns, which is, a, which is, again, a blessing, that you can incur suffering today, that you could be going through something today, and maybe you're the only person that recognizes what happened to you. God knows, he sees, and God's justice demands that something take place. He will right every wrong one day in eternity. And we see in this text, a provision for that, a, a foreshadowing of that great day, the great and awesome day of the Lord, Well, he'll right every wrong and, 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 and punish every enemy of the people of God. And notice what, after they kill the animal, what are they to say? What are they, what are they to do after they kill the animal? Note with me, In verse 7, our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed, Accept atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not set the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel, so that their blood guilt be atoned for. So you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the sight of of the Lord. So here we have sin requiring the just payment it deserves, life. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. That animal died in place of the murderer. God's justice is appeased and mercy given. Grace and mercy married to God's justice. That's, that's how, it, the reason why we can enjoy salvation and not fear the justice of God is because the justice of God was met in the cross of Christ. There, God's mercy and grace were beautifully met and intertwined with in a mysterious, glorious way with his justice. That we sinners who deserve God's wrath are adopted children of God, that we would be justified, that we would be declared righteous, just like this animal that was killed Christ died for us. And it wasn't just one animal. That for, for Israel, they had to repeatedly kill animals. For us, dear Christian, maybe it's not life circumstances that you're dealing with, but you are dealing with a fight with sin at this moment. The blood of Jesus offers a better word than verse, and then chapter 21. Lord, atone. Maybe you need to hear the Lord did atone in what Jesus did in dying for your sins. You're living with a guilt and shame that the cross paid for. That, that, think, this is, it's prideful in one sense because the Lord God sent Himself. God died for sins. And you're saying that your sin is hanging up divine salvation. Everybody else's sin is good and covered, but my sin. That one, I don't know if Jesus could pay for. I say that humorously and, and, and in love. Brothers and sisters, you, you, your sin most definitely is covered if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ. There's no sheer uh, fear or shame or guilt that, that you need to, to, to have and to weigh yourself down with. I want you to realize the gospel and live in the good of the gospel of life that has saved you. It is by Christ and Christ alone. Notice the color of God's love in your life, even in that one sin that you might be dealing with this morning. And for those that don't know the Lord, Josh read this for called worship. We did not not, uh, tag on this, but Ephesians two, how can we recognize the Lord of life? What for, for you who do not know Jesus Christ this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. This is the truth. You want to care about life? You want to be a good person? You want to do the right thing? You want to live the good life? I'm all about loving my neighbor. Christians are the ones that don't know about loving neighbor as much as I do. What does the gospel of life say? What is the Christian worldview? What is our divine perspective on life? It's Ephesians 2. This is the good news offered to you freely this morning, today, right now. Ephesians 2, verse one. And you were dead. What does the gospel of life start off with? It starts off with a recognition of our need that we are dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked, once walked, following the course of the world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, are, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, deserving God's judgment like the rest of mankind. So all of us, that's every one of us, we were dead and we need God's grace. We deserve, every one of us deserves God's justice in our life. Where's the hope of the gospel of life? Verse four, but God being rich. Think about a guy with ginormous money bags, being rich in mercy, not shorthanded, but rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were at our worst, made us alive together with Christ. That is the gospel of life. We were dead, but now we are alive. Alive. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That is the gospel of life. If you want to love your neighbor this morning, you want to, if you want to walk out of this room and be more Christ-like, you need to be more aware of Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. Be more aware of how your need your need declares that you that you don't deserve love but judgment and God what he should have declared which was justice he declared love steadfast love and mercy more so he provided himself as the death that we deserved and he traded the death that we deserved for the life that we could have in Christ. We are dressed not in shame and in guilt, but with God's love and the righteousness of Christ. That's the gospel of life. That's the paint that we have on, on, in our house. In, in the way that we respond to one another, the gospel of life informs our actions. The way that I talk to my wife, the way that I parent my children, the way that I work in the office, the way that I talk to my neighbor, the way that I have a disagreement with somebody, the way I respond when someone hates me is painted It should be painted with the gospel of life. Even down to the details, big buildings and the trash cans are all in detail painted with this divine perspective of the gospel. If you want to care about the lives of image bearers, you ought to care about the gospel of life which brings us to walking out the life of salvation, walking out the life of salvation, very short. The first way we can apply this text in cities of refuge, stealing property, testifying in court, going to war, pray nobody has to do that, cutting down fruit trees and so on. The first way that we could care about life in the details from this text is to cherish the gospel. And that—that that is the truth for any imperative in the Bible, that we would cherish what God has done for us in Christ, that we would be a people that are in all regularly of God's grace to us in Jesus. The second way that we can apply this text is to care, is to care. It's, it's, it's not avoid this TV show or, or make sure you're doing this or make sure you're going to a pro-life rally or, or that you care about, you know, be, be pacifist or whatever way that you could interpret and apply this text. It's far more simpler and profound than that. Care about your neighbor. Think about the color of the situations that you are walking in. Does this, does, am I responding to this person who is kicking me in light of what God has done for me in Christ. Is my life, it, the question, community group, here's, here, here's, here's a way to get in the living, here's the way to get in the living room of your heart. Hey guys, in community group, do you guys think that my life, is there an area of my life where I'm not painting the gospel of life? Am I, am I being consistent with the gospel that I claim? Am I effectively preaching it? Is there a way that I could preach this more effective in my life? Is there a way that I am not caring or willfully neglecting the gospel of life as it relates to my neighbor? Christians are not single issue people. It's not like Kingsway is doing really well because we have a couple people that really care about um, abortion and some people care about this issue or on this issue. Christians don't have that luxury. We don't. We care about all of life from the womb to the grave. And there's not one thing that we should be more passionate about. All of our life should be painted with the gospel of life. Because our Lord of life cares for all of life, in all of life, for all the lives of those in created or even down to the fruit trees, even down to the fruit trees. Parents, train your kids to recognize the gospel of life. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and give life in your leadership in your household. Older saints, teach the younger generation how to value life. Teach the youth to value the gospel of life. And celebrate when you see the gospel of life displayed. The last thing that we can do to apply this text is to think about when we love others, to have a God-centered, communally-minded love of others versus a self-centered love of our well-being. Let me say that again. That as we love our neighbors, as we think about the gospel of life and its outworkings, that we would be concerned in a God-centered, communally-minded, so caring, being, as a church, we love these things. It's not about you wearing the t-shirt. It's about the church wearing the t-shirt. We're all about this. We love a communally minded love of others versus a I care about life issues when it applies to me. When it hurts Caleb, you better believe it. You're, you're gonna get a letter to your manager about this life issue. I, we ought to be selfless, not self-centered in the way that we pursue matters of life. And when you understand the colors that matter of life and that the way that, the, that, that it should have, it becomes easier to recognize and apply what we should be doing as a church. May we be a church that is captivated by what Jesus has done for us and the new life that he's given us. And may we be quick, may there be a muscle memory, a quick response to love our neighbor, matters of life. That's the point. Love God and joyously love your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of life, that you have given life to us. The air we breathe, the day we have even today testifies that you, that you give Father, we thank you so much for all the ways that you've provided for us in our lives, all the ways that you have saved us from ruin spiritually, because of your love. Father, would you help us as a church, to love you more, to ponder the gospel more, Or would you change our perspective where it needs, where it needs to be informed? by the gospel. Help us to not just be Sunday Christians, but in every moment, in every moment, dependence upon you. We need you because life's not found outside of you. You are the Lord and we need you. Help us to see the needs of our neighbors, to care as you care for matters of life in the details of lives as your word prescribes. Lord, to you we give glory and honor. You have our lives in your hands and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.